guess I'll kick it off. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Oi with the Terror already. This is episode seven, which is kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but good. <laughs> crazy in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's been like seven weeks, eight weeks since we started, and I think like nine since we were talking about it, so. It's all happening. Yay. And we got new mics, so we're both super excited. <laughs> Hopefully you guys notice a uh, change for the better in the audio. Because after listening to the last episode, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so yeah, we have uh, new slash better mics now. So we're adults. We're professionals. And we're trying to be. <laughs> it's all about trying. I guess I'll go first with mine. So Danielle, you're definitely gonna know this one but i've been wanting to do this one for a while so i hope you enjoy and i hope that you are able to kind of put in your two cents at the end so to speak um so for this week i decided to do emily's bridge Ooh, i'm excited i actually was really excited about this one so emily's bridge is located in stowe vermont and it's actually called the goldbrook bridge but it's better known as emily's bridge Just to give a little information about the bridge itself, it's one lane and about 50 feet long, and it's located in Stowe Hollow, which is an area or one of the early areas of Stowe. It was built in 1844, and the style of the bridge is a ho-truss bridge, uh, which is very simple, and it's covered so that it keeps out the rain and the snow, which is good because Vermont, it snows a lot. And it's called the Gold Brook because that is where they found gold. So that's why it's named the Gold Brook because they found gold there in the brook below. Getting to the story of how it was called or how it was named to be Emily's Bridge, I found a few different versions. The story of Emily took place sometime between 1849 and 1949. They're not really sure, but there have been claims that have gone back to, I think, 1968 was when the earliest claim was actually recorded. So in one version of the story that supposedly took place in the 19th century, a young girl named Emily was supposed to meet her lover or boyfriend at the bridge one night, and they were supposed to go and elope because he was from a wealthy family, she was from a poor family, so neither family really approved. They decided to meet at the bridge at midnight and go to elope. He never showed, so in her distraught state, she ended up actually hanging herself from the rafters of the bridge. In another version of the story, she met a young man and they were supposed to get married and she was waiting for him at the church on their wedding day. He never showed. She then got into her family's wagon and in her haste was heading off to see if she could find her fiance. When she was coming to the bridge, she failed to turn correctly right before the bridge and ended up actually driving the horse and carriage over the bank and crashing onto the rocky brook below. And her and the horses were killed in the incident. In another version, the same thing happened, but instead of being in a horse and carriage, she was actually in an automobile. And when she went around the corner, she was going too fast and she crashed the automobile into the brook below and pretty much died instantly. Hmm. There have been a lot of experiences um, because I was kind of wondering... Well, with this story, like, what is making it kind of continue? 
And I guess there have been a lot of things that happen to people that visit the bridge. These include scratch marks appearing on the cars that are parked under the bridge. People have been scratched or touched by who they assume is Emily. They have also been strange noises such as footsteps, ropes tightening, and a girl screaming. Some have reported seeing an apparition of a young girl that they assume is Emily. And they've also reported hearing banging noises from Emily hitting the outside of the cars or dragging sound that comes from kind of the top of the outside of the cars. And most of these seem to take place between 12 a.m. and 3.30 a.m. There's also been evidence that makes it seem that Emily really hates men more than a woman and will actually attack men more. However, I could only really find this information from Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America, and I couldn't find any other evidence or stories to support that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I have heard that, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard that. I'm not sure if I should uh, mention my experience now or later on. Uh, Maybe later. Yeah, I don't know what you would prefer. Yeah, probably to support that theory. I've also heard that one. So okay, maybe I also heard it from you from telling me about it. I'm not sure, but I couldn't. I couldn't really find it anywhere, and it was kind of frustrating. Hmm. If people are interested in learning more about Emily's Bridge, they can watch that episode of Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America. I believe it's season three, episode two. They do have two stories that I did take from the show, um, and I will tell those now. A young couple decided to go and check out the bridge at night after hearing about the folklore they decided to park on the bridge and turn off the car and they locked the doors as they were waiting for things to happen they were just kind of chatting and kind of just waiting after about 10 minutes passed the couple was saying that they should head out because there was nothing happening and it was getting really late while they were sitting in the car it did start to fog up while they were about to leave the girl looked to face her boyfriend and noticed that there was a set of cold hollow eyes that did not have any people staring into the car on her boyfriend's side who was driving and it looked like there was a face pushed up against the car window she also described that this thing had straw-like hair. They were both freaking out and tried to start the car, but it it kept stalling. And after the third time, the car finally started and they were able to drive off. When they got out of the car later, they noticed that there were scratches on the side of the vehicle that this supposed figure pushed against. And the girlfriend says she thinks Emily pushed against the side that her boyfriend was on because he was a man and she has a grudge against men. So that just kind of matches with the claims of her not liking men. The other story that they told was that there were two brothers that were driving around and they decided to check the bridge out. And this was also during the daytime. So as they were walking during the day um, and they were walking on the bridge, they kind of felt like they shouldn't be there. There was something that didn't want them there. And one of the brothers decided to try to taunt her and yelled out, what is it like to be dead? He then felt a scratch on his hand and it started to bleed. And he started to feel really weak. So they got in the car and they left. The brother that was scratched um, still felt really weird and just felt like something was wrong. So his brother went with him to a priest so he could be cleansed. And he said that he felt a lot better after that. There was also... The first claim that happened back in 1968 by a young man who was writing a paper about an incident that happened while he was on the bridge. He was writing about how he brought a Ouija board to the bridge and a young spirit presented herself as a girl named Emily. Others who were using Ouija boards also decided to go to the bridge and they also stated that a young entity named Emily would kind of show up. But when they were talking to Emily, they said she confirmed that she was killed by her fiance's mother. Hmm. So that kind of brings a different tale into what might have happened. The thing I found really interesting when I was going through is that there is some history out there that could easily debunk this whole thing. For example, there has never been any historical evidence that Emily actually existed. 
And if there was a crash or something, there would have been an article in the newspaper or word of mouth, or there would have been some form of documentation showing that there was a crash and that a girl named Emily did die. The other thing that I found interesting was in the 1970s, a teenage girl named Nancy Wolf Steed, who was living in Stowe at the time, told her friends a story that sounds a lot like Emily's story and that she has taken credit for it. And she told that back in the 70s and it just took off. This was also during a time when stories of witches and Ouija boards were really popular and stories of witchcraft were really popular. Mm-hmm. That kind of also makes me wonder whether or not this actually happened. And if it, if it just was like a made up story that just kind of got out of hand, so to speak, and now it's really famous. And the only thing I could find out about her today is that she is a reporter. Hmm. After looking at all of my re- all the articles and everything I've looked at, they all pretty much said the same thing. And they all pretty much said the same story. And they all had stories of people that would go to the bridge, especially teenagers. And the other issue that they're having with Emily's Bridge is that it's disturbing the people that actually live there. Yeah. Because these teenagers will come between 12 and 4 in the morning, and they'll be really loud, and they'll be partying, and they just kind of disturb the peace of everyone that lives there. So even though I think that the people that live there kind of like it because it does bring tourism to the town, they also hate it because it causes a lot of ruckus. So I'm actually not 100% sure if it's if it's like legit. Okay. I'm just not sure if it's legit or not. Uh-huh. After kind of reading and going through everything, but I think it is an interesting story and I think it's kind of just shows how if she did make it up in the 70s or if it was made up just how it, a story can spiral kind of out of control and how if you ask a lot of people, they know about it or they've heard of it or they're like, "Yeah, that sounds familiar." Hmm. So I'm also just curious to see what your take on it is. So as you know, I did go to college at Champlain, mm-hmm. which is in Burlington, Vermont. I think it's like 40, 50 minutes away from Stowe. Yeah. So going to college, not growing up in Vermont, going to college in Burlington, I kind of learned like freshman, sophomore year, oh, Stowe is the area where the fancy people basically go to stay at ski lodges <laughs> and like buy expensive dinners yeah basically go skiing snowboarding or drink hot chocolate by a fire or something and then (laughs) see i know it as like where the von trapp family lives if you guys the music that's where the von trapp family settled is in stowe so yeah i guess there's a lot going on in stowe (laughs) yeah i forgot that's true yeah there's a um they have a lodge that you can go to yeah, they have like a brewery there mm-hmm. now, I think. And then I feel a lodge or somewhere near that lodge, like they host sort of a venue for weddings and other events. My dad and stepmom just went there like a few months ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. It's like kind of considered a destination to go visit as some kind of vacation if you don't mind driving four plus hours. If you're in like the Connecticut area, my experience with specifically Emily's Bridge. My friend and her boyfriend at the time were, he was really into sort of kind of ghost hunting. He really liked going to like ghostly sites and trying to find if anything was going on. He wasn't really a ghost hunter, but he just liked going to creepy places basically. (laughs) So my friend, her boyfriend at the time, uh, myself and my now husband, hashtag Dave the intern, we all piled into a car at maybe like I don't know what time it was. We were in our early 20s. It could have been like 10 p.m. or it could have been midnight. I think on like a Saturday. 
we decided to drive to Emily's bridge to just see what would happen. And honestly, sort of, we were disappointed. The scariest thing that happened to us was like, we had to do a U-turn out of someone's driveway near the bridge. And it looked <laughs> like he may have like got in a shotgun or something and was like standing at his door. We saw some guy standing at his door like near the driveway and we're like, uh-oh. That's terrifying. So when you mentioned, like, people are kind of mad or upset who live there, and I was like, yep, yeah, I can verify that. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, so after that, we actually got to the bridge. Yeah, basically nothing really happened, and we did hear that, like, probably men would be more affected by this, and she has kind of a harboring resentment or anger towards men. Like if something were to happen, like they may get scratch marks or something. Nothing creepy happened with the car, the windows, windshield. We never really experienced anything. And then we basically just went on our way. But I think I may have actually seen the episode you're talking about. I feel like that sounds really familiar. Yeah, if for those of you that are interested in watching it, I believe it's on Discovery+. Plus. Yeah, like Stowe's kind of like an area known for um, having a lot of tourists and being kind of fancy. But then it definitely has a lot of the like super rural people live very quietly. It's kind of like half and half. And where Emily's bridge was located is definitely more in the, like, very near any big ski lodges or anything. It's literally just, like, a covered bridge over a stream or something like that. Yeah, that's why when I was looking through research for the debunked part, they were also like, it may have happened at another bridge. Because um, there were so many covered bridges around during that time. Oh, yeah. So they're like, we don't even know if it happened at this one. I'd be curious to, if any of you have stories about Emily's Bridge that you want to share, you can also just email us as well. Because I'd be definitely interested in reading about other people's experiences. So, or to see if anyone's had yeah, any. Yeah, I want to know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, mine was like nothing. So if anyone has actual, if something happened, that would be good to know. I actually had never heard of the theory that you mentioned that it it might be like something involving the uh, groom or fiance's Mm -hmm. mom. I'd never heard of that one. So that was new to me. I mean, I'd never, I didn't find like any story confirming. That's the only art. That's the only article. I found it in one article where it was like, oh, this person took a Ouija board. Yeah. And they asked her and she said it was like the fiance's mom, which I guess kind of makes sense because in the other versions I was reading, the parents were definitely against them getting married because supposedly he was wealthy and she was poor. Mm. So it's that kind of class divide, which I'm like, I can understand. Oh, yeah. That does sound familiar, actually. But I was also just like, yep. so what? Did the mom like convince her to meet her at the bridge and then kill her? Like, what? How? But why does that seem even more sinister than the groom himself doing it? It's like, he didn't do it, but his mom did. For some reason, that seems even worse. I don't know why. Because it's like, I don't think the groom, if it is real, I don't think that the groom would have been intentionally been like, if I don't show up, she's going to kill herself. I don't no yeah if that was intentional like and I guess now she's just waiting there because a she's never got the closure and she's like again it's another story where it's this poor girl has been jilted she kills herself and now she's trapped waiting for him or looking for him or just mad and that just seems to be a theme in most of the stories that I've been picking so 
I know. And it's kind of like frustrating because I remember looking this up too before when I was going to school in Vermont and everything and we were interested in it. And like seeing what you said also that there aren't any actual records of mm-hmm. a person of this name or anything. But then it's like, why does this story exist? It must be based off of something. Like someone could have made it up, but why would it keep circulating for so long? I think the other part too is that it is a story. It's a love story at the end of the day. And I think that yep. is what has made it keep going. And I just think that theme like is kind of a gold mine essentially to make sure it keeps going. So I do think Mm -hmm. that Nancy Steed had something to do with it because it makes sense because it's that time period. I think the exorcist was just like coming out a few, maybe around that time or a few years later. So it's like paranormal and witchcraft was really popular. So it would make sense. And then, you know, it's the whole word of mouth thing. Like, Oh, if I tell one friend, they'll tell their friends or it's even like telephone where it's like if I tell mm-hmm. you a story some way, they may tell it to their friend, but they may tell it a little differently. And then over time, it just kind of morphs into this folklore and this legend of the town. Which decade or which century was this supposed to take place? Because I always imagined that her riding a horse. Yeah, that's what I imagined too. So it, I don't remember where I read it, um, but it'll be in the in the sources. It, it supposedly took place sometime between, like, 1849 and 1949. So, like, within 100 years. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. I, oh, I thought it was a lot earlier than that. Well, I thought it took place in the 1920s, which makes sense if it's, like, an automobile accident. Considering it's a horse and buggy, it seems to be the most popular. That's, like, definitely, like... I feel a little bit before the 1920s, so sometime within like the 1910s. That was the main story I knew that there was a horse. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, okay, this has to be older. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't even think the people really know from what I saw in my research and on the Travel Channel episode. They were just like, it happened sometime between this year and this year within the 100 years and... It's just, there's just, again, it's just, there's different versions. There's the, she was meeting him at the bridge and he never showed. So she right. hung herself. And then I guess her parents found her like the next day because they had a right. feeling that she was going somewhere to meet this guy. And then it's the other version of, oh, she was jilted at the church on her wedding day. So she like took off to go find him and made it to the bridge before she crashed and killed the horses and herself. And then it's the version of it's that same story, but with a car. So it just seems like there's just different versions depending on who you talk to. And even whether you talk to like a local or if you talk to somebody like you who went to college in Vermont and heard about the story. Mm -hmm. And you could argue why would the people of Stowe really need to make up a story like this? Because they have such a large industry from people going there for skiing and winter activities Mm -hmm. in addition to like the um von traps and yeah whatever so like usually if something is kind of made up and unverified it's kind of in a random area where there isn't really anything else going on like near our hometown (laughs) you can pick us some apples and christmas trees i think we have more christmas tree farms than like anything else (laughs) than residents feels like that sometimes but i mean you do make a point and the other thing is it doesn't seem like they're like the residents of stowe were thrilled about it because 
it does cause a lot of teenagers or college students to come and party and see if it's real. Yeah. So then they're disturbing the peace and the cops are like, we can't do anything because they're not doing anything illegal. Yeah. We, our hands are tied. We can't do anything. We can tell them to leave. They're just going to come Unless back. Unless they take down the bridge, which they might. seems like it might mess up people's commute. They can also just replace it with like a new bridge. Maybe not a covered one. Maybe that will confuse people. But it's so charming. Yeah, whenever you see a covered bridge, it's just like you assume, oh, this is uh, some kind of old historical type. You don't really see new modern covered bridges no i don't think it's specific to new england but you kind of know like a covered bridge is like kind of a classic type well i also feel like just because vermont you they do get a lot of snow and it does keep off the snow so it's less dangerous Mm -hmm. than a regular bridge it's less slippery it's a one-way bridge it's only like i think it's only 50 feet i don't yeah it's only around 50 feet long so it's not even like a long bridge Right. And it also, you're right, it does have like that New England charm to it. Yeah. You know, I'm curious to see if it does continue and if it keep like if the story keeps being told and like if Mm -hmm. we'll still be talking about Emily's Bridge in the next, you know, 30, 40 years. I'm thinking of this classic movie with Meryl Streep. The Bridges of Madison County? Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that takes place in like the Midwest or something, though. I'm I have no idea. I think there might be like covered bridges everywhere, but I feel like it's kind of the classic New England calendar. Look at all these <laughs> pictures of covered bridges or something. Look how charming they are with leaves. I mean, I guess so. I've never actually seen that movie. I've heard of it. Oh, really? I've never seen it. She's like a French lady that's in America and she's on a farm, but she's like sad. And then she has an affair with a photographer who's, I think... <laughs> His job is taking pictures of covered bridges or something. Oh, maybe it's Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Madison County. Ugh. I don't know. Are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's called the Bridges of Madison County, so. That's the only Madison I've heard of. Oh, there actually is a Madison, Connecticut. I'm curious now. I feel like I need to look this up now. Meryl Streep, where were you? Also, the fact that Meryl Streep plays a French woman. Yeah, and I think it's the only movie I've seen her with dark brown hair, too. I guess she had to have dark brown hair. Oh, we're both wrong. It takes place in Iowa, Madison County, Iowa. (laughs) Oh, whoops. Sorry, (laughs) Iowa. You also have a Madison. I think a lot of states do. (laughs) Probably. A lot of states have the same names of towns and cities. Or if they're like Massachusetts and Connecticut, they sound similar, but they're not the same. Yeah. Because we have like a new town in Connecticut and then there's Newton in Mass. Okay, yeah, I was going to go the opposite point and say Mass places just have a lot more vowels thrown in. (laughs) But yeah, there is a Newton. There's a Newton. They do. And then we have Newtown. Yeah. That's like the only example where they have a shorter name of something than we do. Or like in Connecticut, and I'm sorry, Massachusetts friends, I'm still mad about this. In Connecticut, we have Peabody, like the Peabody Museum. And then up here, it's Peabody. Yeah. That always bugs me. When I recently moved to Mass, I mean, it wasn't too insulting because it was like close friends, but... They did laugh at my face for a few seconds after I said Wooster. Yeah. And then I had to collect my pride and vacate the building. Because it's Wooster. <laughs> yeah. So if you ever enter Mass, you're not allowed to go in without pronouncing that right. 
Yep, they'll they'll stop you at the mass border and ask you if you can pronounce it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) They took away easy passes and have people standing at the borders asking if you can pronounce it. Here are three Massachusetts towns. Can you pronounce them? (laughs) Get out of here if you can't. No Duncan for you. Yeah, basically. That's how I felt like the first year up here. Well, this actually is an easy transition for me. I mean, if should I start to go into mine? Yeah, I mean, that's all I really had. And I was just curious to hear like your experience. It's disappointing. I want to chime in and be like, yeah, we were our lives were never the same after this night. But no, unfortunately, none of us really experienced anything. Yeah, but I feel like that also happens a lot too. Like you go to these places and you're going with a mindset of like, oh, something's gonna happen. And then you're like, nothing happened. I feel like sometimes it happens when you aren't expecting it. That's kind of when it could happen the most. Or maybe she just felt too outnumbered because there were four of you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Can't mess with this party. Massachusetts, so it's kind oh. of funny that we were just talking about. Oh, you chose a local story this time, okay. Yeah. <sighs> okay, it's kind of a lot to unfold. Oh boy. Should I get popcorn? I should probably move my hands from in front of my face, because that's probably not great for audio. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get popcorn, I'll just mute you <laughs> eating the whole time. <laughs> okay, how do I want to start this? Provincetown. Ooh, okay. P-Town, here we go. Okay, I mean, it's not totally connected. Have you ever seen American Horror Story? I have not, but I know about it because a lot of my friends watch it. So it's pretty exciting. Dave and I, hashtag Dave the Intern, and I just went to Provincetown, I think it was last October. Yeah. We just really wanted to do some kind of local, what's it called? Local, not honeymoon. Oh, staycation. <laughs> Um, so we decided to go to Provincetown. It's like an area known for fun, party, rowdy type people, like very artsy, stuff like that. Um, they're actually known for being really LGBTQ plus friendly. Like that's their thing. So Dave and I wanted to go there and hang out. We had a good weekend. It was my first time being there, so I couldn't compare it with anything else. But like, it seemed like it was kind of quiet, probably because of COVID compared to normally. I've been there. I went there in the summer and it was pretty crowded. So I feel like that's more of like a summer place kind of. Yeah, it definitely seems like that. Like it's, I guess, kind of easy to get to because you can either take the ferry there from Boston or Hingham or somewhere else. Or you can, if you feel like it, you can drive there. Provincetown is basically located like at the end of Cape Cod. So from where we are, it's easier to drive. But if you're in the Boston area, I think there's some kind of like express ferry or something like that. It it basically just takes you straight to Provincetown. Mm -hmm. It's kind of known as like the party hangout type area. And actually a few months after we 
went there in October. I really liked the show American Horror Story. And then I heard, oh, they're filming the latest season of American Horror Story in Provincetown. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, right after I left. <laughs> That's rude. So I think they actually stopped filming it a month or two ago, but it seems like they're kind of dropping subtle hints. Like the theme of this last season is either sea related. I think it, my guess is maybe mermaidy folklore or something like that. They just keep like having pictures of like sea things, maybe pirates. So I'm like <laughs> pretty excited. I was going to say, I'm like, P-Town, I feel like that's a pirate thing for some reason. Well, what I mentioned to you, the Sam Bellamy, what Dave and I did a ghost tour when we were in Provincetown, and that was like one of the main stories they had for us was the legend of Sam Bellamy. That's right. So yeah, that's a whole other thing, but that's a pretty interesting, I guess he's like considered the most successful pirate because he was able to like get... Mm-hmm. A bunch of gold but then basically died when he was like 23 or something so whatever you consider to be successful (laughs) getting gold but then dying immediately yeah but i guess for a pirate i don't know i guess that's good i was a bit confused by that text because i was like was that a story that we texted you if you ever do pirates do this one because we went to newport and i was like was that a story that we heard in newport i don't remember that They must have talked about pirates or something because it's on the water, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't remember which one specifically if they did. I don't don't know. know. That trip was what, like two years ago? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Maybe, maybe I'll do pirates next. So the story I am covering in this episode is the Lady of the Dunes. Oh, interesting. I'm thinking of sand dunes. I don't know why, but. Yeah, no, it is sand dunes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so it's basically, I think it is considered Provincetown, but related to sand dunes. So like not what you would consider like Provincetown proper, I guess. It's Mm -hmm. not in the actual city center. It's in like sand dunes off to the side, basically. So it's an unsolved case starting from the 70s. After a young girl was playing in the sand dunes off of... Race Point Lighthouse. On July 26, 1974, near Race Point Lighthouse on the sand dunes in Provincetown, a nude and disfigured body was found by a young girl who was there playing with her dog. The dead woman was found among the sand and brush off to the side of a pathway. I read it was 15 feet from like the main road in that area. Wow. And this woman became known as the Lady of the Dunes. She was found with pink toenails, long auburn or reddish blonde hair, tied back in a rubber type hair tie. She was found lying on a light green heavy cotton beach blanket with blue jeans folded under her head as well as a blue bandana. So it basically sounds like she was like found kind of like lying on a blanket, like someone tanning or something, basically just like lying on the sand. And she was found without any kind of defensive marks. It seems like she hadn't struggled and perhaps the killer could have been her companion because she was basically found just like in that same position, just like lying there. And the cause of her death was found to be a a blow to her head, but no murder weapon was ever found at the scene. So there were some weird details. One of the weird details is that her hands were missing. 
And this is, it was a way of basically hiding her fingerprints to make mm-hmm. it difficult for the police to try to find who she is, her identity. And apparently they found like pine needles where her hands would have been. Uh pretty strange what they also found that her head was almost decapitated like the person tried decapitating her head and then couldn't for whatever reason couldn't get through the whole thing or maybe he heard people nearby and was scared off and stopped so it looked like her head was almost decapitated to as another way of probably trying to hide her identity sounds like a nearly headless nick situation from harry potter (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) that's true so yeah i mean it's good that this wasn't successful because it's basically the only way way police can currently try to find the identity of who she is the police think that after she was found she could have been there anywhere from 10 days to three weeks and it was a 74 so I'm guessing people had licenses then, or that maybe that was the main form of ID, but they couldn't find any form of identification on her. After the discovery, as many as 30 police detectives were searching the area, but none of them could find any clues. So their next move was to try to contact a relative of the unknown woman, but basically the only thing they could go off of was that she was maybe in the 20 to 40 range with reddish brown or blonde hair. She was around 5'6 and weighed 145 pounds. So those were basically the only details they had on her without having any like identification or fingerprints. I wonder if they could do dental records back then. It's interesting that you mentioned that, because that was basically the only thing they had to work from. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the person who did it was trying to take her teeth out. It sounds like some of her teeth were missing, but from the teeth they did find, they were able to find unique and expensive dental work. So something not really typical and like an everyday type person. They thought that the dental work was specific to the New York area, apparently. And they thought that it could it was basically valued at like thousands of dollars. So not just a random person who doesn't have, I don't know, a lot of income. Like it has to be, this person has to have some kind of, some means of income or something or know other people who could have paid for this. Like, mm-hmm. so they found several gold crowns so while trying to find leads for who this woman was the police were contacted from a woman from maryland who thought that this may be her sister who also had auburn hair the woman lost contact with the sister after she moved to boston months before the murder but this lead was later deemed as inconclusive because provincetown is pretty close to the boston area so that's like not out of the realms of possibility another lead that seemed pretty strong at the time was that the lady of the dunes could be someone named rory jean kissinger she was a known drug dealer and bank robber at that time she sort of bared a resemblance to the victim but she was 5'3 which is shorter than the victim who was reported at i believe it was five six and a half so rory jean kissinger was 5'3 So the story of Rory Jean Kissinger is that she had recently escaped 
from the nearby Plymouth County Correctional Facility a year prior to this unknown woman's body being found in the sand dunes. Kissinger was wanted in Kansas, California, Texas, and Alaska. In January of 1973, a cop found her running around naked in the woods of Pembroke, Massachusetts, which is also sort of near Provincetown. The cop decided to take her to his home after she informed him she had been raped. Once they got to his home, she turned the lights off and said, quote, I'm sorry, but I have to kill you. The cop wrestled the gun out of her hands and then took her to a hospital where she found another gun and tried threatening some other people and had to be restrained once again. So at that point, she was sent to the correctional facility in Pembroke. Then she disappeared from the facility after like coercing one of the guards there. She was a known member of a crime ring in the area, and it was thought that she was most likely murdered after escaping this facility because she was known for, I guess, basically talking a lot, and associates of hers were worried she might talk too much. Apparently, there's a quote from one of her associates that said she was pushing up daisies. This was going on around the same time that Lady of the Dunes was found, but like I mentioned before, there were a few discrepancies in her weight, height, and the timeline, because apparently she went missing, like, months earlier to um, the Lady of the Dunes getting killed, so that didn't really make sense. And then in addition to that, they later tested her mother's DNA to see if it matched lady of the dunes after she was exhumed and the dna did not match so basically it's an unsolved case with lady of the dunes and rory kissinger because she was never found either so this is another unsolved case mm-hmm. on october 19th 1974 the unknown woman from the dunes was buried at saint Peter's cemetery in provincetown with a marker that read quote unidentified female body found Race Point Dunes, July 26, 1974, end quote. Another maybe lead comes from Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, so, from, night, from 2015. After watching one of his favorite movies, Jaws, on the big screen, he spotted a extra in the background of one of the scenes who was sporting a blue bandana, She was tall, slim, and resembled the description of the Lady of the Dunes. So apparently this this particular scene was filmed in Martha's Vineyard, which is only a few hours away from Provincetown. And that scene was filmed in June of 1974, which also lines up with the discovery of the body, which was July 1974. Unfortunately, the producers of Jaws did not record the names of the extras from the film, so they could not verify who she was. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. If you Google it, there are pictures of this, like, unknown extra from the Jaws movie that has, like, a blue bandana, has long, you can't really tell what color, maybe, like, auburny, medium brown type hair. Interesting. It's, yeah, so that's basically, like, the latest lead slash theory Joe Hill says, quote, 
But what if we have all seen her? What if she's been in front of us for decades and we have just never noticed? I turn this possibility over to the greatest puzzle-solving instrument humans have ever created, the internet. Give Jaws another watch and look for the lady, end quote. Did it say, like, which scene she was in? So I guess it's 54 minutes into the movie. Okay. I don't know the, like, exact name of the scene or anything. I'm also just trying to remember, like, where, like, Jaws was filmed. Like, if it was filmed, like, in that area or not. I can't remember. I guess this scene where they found the woman who resembles Lady of the Dunes, it was filmed in Martha's Vineyard, it sounds like. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. But it sounds like there were so many extras, they basically couldn't really keep track of who was who. Mm -hmm. Slash, they didn't, I guess. (laughs) Slash, hopefully they do a better job today. Yeah, like that would have been useful, but (laughs) not on the payroll, I guess. A retired surgeon named Warren Tobias disputes this theory. He's been studying the case for 20 years and thinks that there are basically hundreds of thousands of women who could fit this description, like who dress that same way with like the bandana and blue jeans and stuff. So he like, I guess, considers it a weak theory. Another kind of strange lead that didn't end up going anywhere was a well-known murderer named Hayden Clark, who admitted killing the Lady of the Dunes, but authorities later found this to be a false confession as Clark suffers from schizophrenia, and I guess he's actually presently imprisoned. Another potential lead was that Lady of the Dunes was an unfortunate victim of the infamous mob boss, Whitey Bulger, because it seems like he was hanging out in Provincetown. This is the second time I've mentioned him in our podcast, by the way. (laughs) Seriously, like, why does it seem like everything comes back to him? I know, that's what, I just said that to hashtag the intern earlier, and he told me, like, basically, if you're from Mass or know someone from Mass or, like, five or six degrees of separation to Bulger just because he was like such a prominent figure in Massachusetts. The last potential lead was that Lady of the Dunes was an unfortunate victim of the infamous mob boss Whitey Bulger. I guess at that time in the 70s, he was routinely seen hanging out in Provincetown at a few pubs in the area. And I guess he was spotted with a woman who fit the description of Lady of the Dunes. But it sounds like this was never really, like, this wasn't a concrete lead or something. Like, it sounds like it didn't go anywhere. And then he ended up being killed in 2018 by fellow inmates. So... I don't know, I guess they couldn't follow up on that. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like there. it's still, I don't know if it's really considered an open case, but when I was looking up this information, it sounds like they are still looking into the case at least. Like there's a detective investigator person who's still doing research on it. Like I saw it said, if you have any leads, contact this woman. So that was kind of interesting. I guess they're still, it's not a totally closed case at least. And then they have, like, with the newer technology from, like, since this happened in the 70s, they have more, like, Mm -hmm. facial reconstructions they can go off of. Yeah. It's sort of crazy. Like, why is it that difficult? They had a few dental records from her. That was 
basically the only form of identification, but they still could never find any relatives or anyone else who knew her. Yeah, because you would think that somebody would report that somebody that age or somebody right. female is missing who was last seen like in that area. I have heard that this seems like a common thing, especially in the 70s, being either like a teen runaway mm-hmm. or just deciding to leave home early. I don't know. And then like, for I don't know why, for whatever reason, the parents are fine with it and don't give it a second thought. Whereas nowadays, like, if kids don't text their parents once a day, it's like, uh oh, no, what's going on? But then it seems like in the 70s, it was kind of considered normal to not hear. I mean, I guess it depends on the people, but that's kind of the vibe I get. Well, it's even like my parents will tell me stories because they grew up in the 50s and 60s and 70s and they would be like yeah on weekends like I would go out and my parents would say don't go home and like don't come home until the streetlights come on and they had no clue what my dad or my mom were doing they'd be out like my mom would be out like playing like with her friends or riding bikes and then occasionally like throughout the day maybe she'll call her mom and say I'm at so-and-so's house or can I stay at so-and-so's for dinner and my dad would do the same but other than that they had no idea where they were they were just my kids are out Yeah, it's sort of considered the norm, especially for a woman in her 20s. Why would... It seems like she... They at least could tell she probably wasn't born in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least for just going off the dental records, that apparently was from New York City. Yeah, that's the only real detail they have on her. It's interesting. I wonder if they're going to have more in the future because i've noticed that that's kind of been a theme lately where a lot of Mm -hmm. these old crimes are kind of coming up again yeah i've noticed that with like the menendez brothers i think there's been some stuff with them on tiktok recently just like a bunch of older crimes are like getting newer documentaries or we're getting newer information yeah i mean it sounds like she's been exhumed twice so far and that most likely will happen again just to try to gain further dna or any other evidence they can find to solve this oh also i forgot to mention this uh one of the reasons i find this interesting is because when dave and i were in provincetown we actually went to some sand dunes not the specific one but apparently in that area it's sort of a popular activity instead of like hiking in the woods people go walking or hiking in sand dunes interesting I was, like, taken aback by how difficult it was. Yeah. We were walking. Yeah. You're basically, every time you take a step, you're sinking into sand. And then you're basically fighting, like, this resistance against yourself. If it's windy at all, it feels like tiny needles are stabbing you with, like, the sand hitting your skin. We did not finish the trail (laughs) that we were supposed to. We were, like, going uphill and everything. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. It was so difficult. I don't know, just us doing, trying to walk through the sand dunes and then hearing about this case later on in the ghost tour. They feel it kind of like stuck with me. Also, crazy that it's so close by. That poor girl that found her. I know. I can't, I can't imagine. Like just playing with your dog and you come across like a body. You know. With like a semi-decapitated head. Yep. And no hands. Like that's terrifying. I know. No, hopefully she was okay after that. Yeah. Also, when you mentioned that, I guess it's assumed that she was there from like 10 days to three weeks. It's like, wouldn't you smell the body? Like, wouldn't you smell something or notice something? 
Yeah, so it was basically July, so it was probably hot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was kind of brushed to the side of a path. Still. I don't know how sand reacts to stuff. I mean, yeah, you would think that someone would have seen that earlier because especially Provincetown is like such a popular destination in the summer too. That was definitely an interesting story compared to last week's story. I feel like last week we got a bit of closure and this week it's just like, no, we're still looking into it. I know. Well, at least it sounds like someone's still investigating Mm -hmm. it. So maybe we'll hear some update at some point later on. Yeah, hopefully. But it is like the fact that the person knew to take her hands off and try to take her head off kind of tells me maybe this isn't the first time he did this. Like maybe he knew what he was doing. Trying to remove teeth too. It's like, oh, they know that they can rely on dental records. So let's try to take out some of them. This isn't the first time he's done this. Still kind of sloppy though. I mean, just with the head and like taking out some of the teeth. Right. So yeah, I, I remember reading before they aren't sure why... The head was nearly decapitated. It was either because maybe he heard people nearby as he was doing it and he got like freaked out and ran away or he just didn't have the right tools on him and then just stopped. They don't know. I also just even wonder if the person that did it is still like alive because if it happened Mm -hmm. in the 70s. Yeah, he could be if he was younger, if he was in his 20s or 30s. I mean, he might also be in jail for another crime too. Mm Mm-hmm. So... If it was Bulger, then he was killed in 2018. Everything. I feel like everything goes back to Eddie Bulger. I know. <laughs> up here. So yeah, that's that's all the info I have. Well, definitely an interesting story. Oh, I was going to mention this before. This makes more sense to say in the beginning. To give a shout out to our listeners from Canada and Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> As you were like halfway through your episode, I was like, oh wait, I should have said that. Yeah. But yeah, I we have early listeners in Canada and Brazil, so thanks for listening. Woohoo. Thanks for the listeners also in England and India. Appreciate it. Yeah. You guys are helping us become international, so we appreciate it. <laughs> so as always, you can find us on Instagram at Oi with the Tarot already. If you have any ghostly tales or Want to send us some other kind of story related to folklore? You can email us at oiwiththeterroralready at gmail.com. We release a new episode every Friday. You can find that at anchor.fm, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Appreciate you. Yes, we do. Thank you, everyone, for listening every week. We hope that you are enjoying the story so far, and we're excited to see what comes next. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.